Good morning, everybody. Uh, for those who don't know, my name is Dave Class. I am the student pastor here. Um, and I'm really psyched to be talking on a Sunday morning with all of you instead of our usual Wednesday nights in here for youth group. Um, all right, so I'm going to start off with a really fun family vacation story, which, as we all know, family vacations never go wrong. Nothing bad ever happens on them. So, um, and yes, my parents are in the room. So, um, so my mom's family is originally from Northern California, and at some point later in life, her father moved to Arizona. And we would go and occasionally visit them from time to time. And um, I was probably about, I don't know, a sophomore or so when we went to visit them and uh, we decided let's go to the Grand Canyon, which was really exciting. Not so much when I explained it to my daughters who are six and four and they go, Dad, that just sounds like a giant hole in the ground. Why would we ever go see that? Good point. Um, but it's a pretty hole in the ground. I don't know. Um, so anyway, at one point when we're there, my brother Andrew, my father, and myself, my father, by the way, is playing guitar today. Um, we have the same haircut, if you haven't noticed. Um, so um, we decide, let's go on a little hike. And so uh, we just have a bottle of water each. We're like, we won't go far. We didn't have anything with us. Um, so it wasn't super well you know, prepared out and all that. So anyway, we decide to go on this hike. And uh, you will notice signs everywhere stating something really important to know. This is a tough hike. So first of all, you got the heat. So that day was, and I remember it very clearly, 120 with 0% humidity, okay? And um, we also uh, saw a bunch of signs saying something that was really important. Not only is this tough, but you have to remember that it starts going downhill. Now, all the hikes I've ever been on, really, usually are the other way around. You know, it, you kind of go uphill, and on the way back, you're like, oh, thank goodness we get to go down. Well, you end the hike by going back up. So I'm thinking, eh, it'll be fine, you know? Like, it'll be good. Like, I'm a wrestler, I work out all the time. I'm from Chicago. Chicago is as flat as a pancake, okay? And it doesn't have desert heat problems. So yeah, we, we noticed kind of early on, we're a little in over our head. And all the signs saying, don't be too drained, make sure you have enough energy to make it back up at the end. We, we didn't need those. So we're, uh, we're on this hike and, um, you know, we're like, we got to head back. It, we're, we're, we're drained and we only have a little bit of water left. And I remember at one point, my brother Andrew, uh, he drank all of his water and he looks at me and I'm the big brother and I'm always like really overprotective of my little brothers. And he looks at me, he's like, hey, Dave, um, can I have a little bit of your water? And instinctively, without thinking, I was like, no, like this is mine. Um, you know, you're going to drink it all. I need it. It's not enough for me. It was definitely not uh, my finest moment to say the very least, and after some like horrified looks from my dad and my brother, and maybe even some uh, veiled threats from my dad, I gave him some of my water. But I remember being insanely thirsty and just how tough and horrible that hike was for all of us, and I remember feeling totally just drained and, and just desperately needing water. But all in all, really what we found out is that being in the desert is brutal. Right? Being in the desert is really, really tough. But have any of you ever been in what we'll call a spiritual desert? Basically a place in your life where you just feel like everything is going wrong. Nothing seems to be working or going right. And it even kind of seems like God somehow is, is really distant or even 
unaware of what's going on in your life. Have any of you ever really been there? I'm, I'm assuming a lot of you can relate to that. So if you can relate to that, that's awesome in a way because that's what we're talking about this morning. So uh, you will be able to relate to our writers in the passages in the book of Psalms today, and they will be able to relate to you. So if you want, you can open up your Bibles uh, underneath your seats. If you're going to use those Bibles, you can open up to page 519. Um, we're going to be starting in, uh, in Psalm 42, going into Psalm 63 a little bit later on. Um, but we're going to read the first four verses in Psalm 42. Um, and as you're finding your page, I'll say uh, Psalm 42 was written by basically a worship team. Uh, they were called the Sons of Korah. They were Hebrew worship leaders. And so uh, here we see their lyrics for a worship song. And in these lyrics, uh, you will be able to see that they can definitely relate to being in a spiritual desert and desperately needing God. So let's read Psalm 42, 1 through 4. <clears throat> As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In other words, when should I be near him again? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Kind of mockingly. These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So he's kind of remembering some good times there at the end. So the first couple verses in here is where I really kind of want us to concentrate on. So as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, what we often do in the evangelical community at large, especially in America, is we'll take a verse like this and we'll try to make it cute. And what I mean by that is, is we'll like get this picture of like a buck, you know, near a stream, antlers all out, massive, just beautiful creature. And then in fancy cursive, we'll write over it something like as the, you know, deer pants for water. And then we'll post it to social media. And why we need to be careful about that type of stuff is because this text is not cute at all. It's agonizing. And so basically what he's saying here is like an animal that's in the desert and is dying because of a lack of water. That's where I find myself spiritually. When can I meet with God? When am I going to be able to draw near him again? So there's no indifference in this man. He is currently in agony. And he's longing to be in that place where the Holy Spirit has filled him powerfully and he's now walking closely step by step with the Holy Spirit. And for whatever reason, he just can't seem to get there. And he's frustrated and he can't sleep at night and he's weeping and he's pleading and he's recalling good times in the past and scripture that he knows that God is faithful. And he's wrestling with himself to know God deeper than he currently does. So it's not cute. It actually is kind of a horrible scene. It doesn't look like a nice little social media post at all. Being in a spiritual desert is anything but a good time. But I believe there is one major misconception about how and why we end up in a spiritual desert in the first place that I want to get out of the way 
um, that we need to be able to get that out of the way to get the real true context here for this morning. So as humans, um, most of us, if not all of us, have this tendency to want to rationalize all the things we see in the world. And, and often that goes to finding worldly reasons and even try to see the balance in everything when that's not always the reality. We want punishment and bad things for those people who do evil things. We want to see good things happen to those who do righteous things. But God says that he has rain and sunshine fall on both the righteous and the wicked. And it's because he has a far higher purpose, a way higher understanding of how everything works throughout time, way more so than our, you know, simple karma-like understanding we sometimes use to look at the world. So having a relationship with God, living for him, the real truth of the gospel is not you do something good and then God's going to go and he's going to bless you with something worldly. You know, he'll give you, he'll give you something to say, good job, you did, you did great there. That is not the gospel. The gospel in the end, the gospel is you get God. You receive the Lord, a relationship with God. That's what you get. And listen, he transcends everything we wrestle with. Everything, all the pain, the suffering, and he is the goal. He is our pursuit. And again, it's not, we, we do this so that this other thing happens. Because honestly, and I would assume, surely life has taught you that's not true. How many people have you seen, you're like, you know they do evil things, yet life seems, at least on the outside, to be going pretty well, um, and vice versa. So just for example, look, in, in our New Testament, we have the disciples, the ones who were following Jesus Christ. And we look at their life stories in the New Testament, and all of them are jailed. Most of their lives end by being murdered solely for following Christ. And then Jesus himself. We have God incarnate, 100% God, 100% man, lives a perfect life. He's three years into doing ministry work, and at age 33, is murdered. So even if you live perfectly, it can end like that. But there's countless examples of very godly people in our Bible, even in history, um, who had to spend a season of their life, sometimes most of their life, sometimes the last half, but a giant portion of their life in a spiritual desert. Look at Moses, for example. This guy is faithful to the Lord, he, he leads this groaning, mumbling, sad group of people through the desert for 40 years. I'm only 35. That's five years longer than my entire existence, and he does this for 40 years. And God promises him, you're going to lead these people out of hundreds of years of slavery. It's done now. You're going to lead them out of Egypt. Slavery is done, and you are going to lead them into this promised land. And after 40 years, he goes up on this mountain, and, and God parts the clouds, and there's the promised land. And, and God goes, isn't it beautiful? And Moses is like, yeah, it is. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, the, the milk and honey, it's awesome. It's great. And then God goes, cool, here's the thing. Um, why don't you lay down, because I'm going to take your life. You don't get to go in. So listen to this, because... I believe this is a painful reality about life that I think as soon as we kind of uh, 
are okay with it, then we can begin to live well with it. So if I'm Moses in this moment, I am going, wait, hold on. Let's talk about this for a second. So I need to know something. So you, what, you, what you're saying, God, is that my part in all of this is the desert. So my part of this story, how you want to use my life is for me to roam around the desert for 40 years with the, like, the most self-indulged, complaining pains in the butt to ever live in the world. And God's like, yup, that is your role. Uh, Joshua, your best bud, he's going to lead them into the promised land. Or let's look at the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, honestly, one, one of the more depressing books in our Bible. Um, he's a prophet, so God's using him to uh, speak to his people. And during this time, um, the people of Israel are not living the way God would want. And although Jeremiah is scared and doesn't want to go tell them, hey, uh, you guys are sinning, stop, um, he does anyway. And every single time Jeremiah goes and does what the Lord tells him to do, the result is he gets, he gets beat half to death, stripped naked, and thrown into a ditch. And the end result of all that is they don't listen to him, and Jerusalem burns to the ground and is taken over by an enemy. One of my uh, favorites... Um, when I was a little kid, I remember reading this and going, wait, what, um, is the story of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist prepares the way for the Messiah, and he gets arrested. And while he's in prison, he sends word to Jesus, and he asks, are you the one? Are you the Messiah that we've been promised? Are you the Savior of the world? Or should we expect another? And Jesus quotes Isaiah 60, and in that, it talks about the captives being freed by this Messiah. But when Jesus sends word back, he happens to leave off the part about prisoners being set free. So he sends word back to John the Baptist and basically is like, I am the one, I am the Messiah, but you're going to stay in prison and you're going to get your head cut off and that's where your life ends. And then there's also Habakkuk, Great uh, Bible name for anyone looking for a boy's name for a baby coming soon, Habakkuk. Um, so we see him. He's also a prophet. And he sees, again, his people, the, the Israelites, doing evil. And he goes to God in prayer, and he's like, God, can you do something about this? And God's like, yes, I will answer your prayer. I'm going to have this group of people over here come over and take you guys over. And he's like, wait, them? But they're like 50 times worse than our people. And God asks Habakkuk to trust him during this time in this spiritual desert. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, man, I was kind of in a good mood before I came to church today. Um, what in the world is going on? But for real, I really want you to think about this. What if our role, maybe just for this season in life, maybe for this life we have on earth, what if our role is the desert? Because as we just read, all of these people proves sometimes God is the one who places us in the desert. It's not just an accident. You don't happen to just wander into it. Sometimes he places you in the desert. Odd enough as it is, sometimes we are kind of lost until we've taken a walk in the wilderness, that spiritual desert. 
not again as a punishment because, oh, you're bad and this is the punishment and all the good people never enter it. That's not, again, what we're talking about today. God knows why he has placed you in the desert. It could be a million different reasons. I know that at times, for me personally, it was a great humbling experience. I know a lot of times God places us there because it's the exact experience he wants you to go through to humble you to the point where you break and you fully, fully submit to his will. Maybe you don't believe Jesus is your savior yet and God is willing to do anything. He's willing to take you to any depths, to do anything in your life, to bring you to a point where he saves your soul. We don't always know, but he knows. So we have these heroes of the faith, all right, spending time in the spiritual desert. But I could give way more examples. Uh, I could go into my, my own personal life. I could, there's probably, you know, at least five examples of this per person in this room right now that we could all go through about people spending time in that desert. Plenty of examples. But what did all of these people get? All these people that we read about and we're talking about this morning, what did they receive? They got God. We talked about that. That's the gospel. And God was enough. God was enough. Again, Jesus transcends all that we're afraid of. So have you ever thought about how it's kind of odd and crazy how the disciples will go into a city and they'll preach the gospel and they'll be beat nearly to death and then leave rejoicing, right? So they're getting whipped with these like cat of nine tails where it's literally ripping skin and flesh off their bones. And then they leave these cities rejoicing that they were able to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Or even Job, long, long time ago, um, this man loses everything in his life, his family, everything. He owns in a moment, and he falls on the ground and worships. So as I was reading these passages, the, the, the big question that kept coming to me that really troubled me, and I, and I feel like, man, I really want to get to the bottom of it, is do we also feel the same way as these heroes of the faith? Or are we just kind of content we're cool, we're fine with where we're at. Or are we able to go through some really tough things and still love the Lord? It's just because for a long time I look around, especially in our country, and I, I feel like so few of us are spiritually bothered by things. Like we're, we're spiritually discontented. And I look around and I'm like, man, those types of people are really, really rare. Why are they so rare? Why are so many of us right now just kind of indifferent to so many of the things that break God's heart, but are at the same time super passionate about certain things like politics or how people view us or uh, you know, spending all this time and energy on social media or even like important good things like work and jobs, but why is that so much more important usually than what breaks God's heart? Because the thing is, is Jesus says to truly follow him, you have to follow him with full abandon, zero restraints, and hold nothing back. You're not allowed to hold anything back, but we often do hold things back. We often hold things like our money, our possessions, our uh, families, relationships. We hold things back, and Jesus says we have to give it all up to him if we are to truly follow him. 
So how many of us would still have joy in the Lord if we owned absolutely nothing? Or even better, how many of us would still love Jesus and yearn for him if we owned nothing due to the fact solely that our faith in Jesus led to us losing everything we owned? We have brothers and sisters in Christ overseas that have to live this out every day where they have to go and worship and hiding in caves because if their government finds out, they'll be sent to a concentration camp or killed. And right there, that's the Moses level, that's the psalmist level, that is Habakkuk level faith. That in the worst of times, you still desire Jesus as much as a dying deer in the desert desires water. So what do we do about this? How do we make sure we don't become these lukewarm people that are holding all of these things back from God and we are not fully desiring him? How do we deal with the times when we want to want God, but we're kind of struggling to desire him because things in life have us just all twisted up or maybe we're just too distracted? How do we overcome and survive these spiritual deserts? Well, we're going to find our answer in Psalm 63. Like I said, we're going to go there. So that's page 531 in the Bibles under your seats. 531. So this psalm is written by King David. And at this point, when he's writing this, King David is running away in the desert. Um, He is running away specifically from his son Absalom. His son Absalom got together an army and kicked his father out. And King David is running for his life in the desert. So his son wants to kill him. Now, you could talk about being in a dark place in life. That's pretty dark. Um, I can't even imagine anything close to what that would feel like. King David is just in this horrific place in his life. And he's also physically in a desert. So we're talking literal and spiritual desert combined here. So Psalm 63, we'll start in verse 1. It says, O God... You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Now in the NIV, the word there, uh, my flesh yearns for you. They use the word yearns. And that's different than just simply wanting. Right? Like, oh yeah, I really want, you know, to watch TV or something. Like, we're not talking about that. Yearning is more of a, almost like a physical need. It's, you have to have it. You, you can't go on without it. All right, so let's continue on. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips." When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So these emotions are so intensely strong for God that it's beyond emotional. It's to the point of like a physical need, thirst and hunger. So people biblically, historically, they've yearned and they've longed and been in agony, and wanted the things of God with all of their might, and all of their soul, and all of their resources, and all of their time and passions. This is one of those prayers that me and my wife, um, a long time ago, um, started to pray in our household a lot. 
uh, when we accepted the call to go into ministry. And so we love this text. And it's because it's where we want our hearts to be. And we're not there yet, uh, but it's where we want to be. And this is how I believe we can all get there. I think King David in this passage tells us how to get there. So real quick, let's go through in Psalm 63 the ways King David tells us to survive and overcome a spiritual desert. Number one is you seek God earnestly. So what does that mean? Well, to seek God earnestly, are you seeking God in a way that you could compare it to that you're dying in a desert, you haven't had water, and you are seeking out water. You know that you're not going to make it if you don't find the water soon. That level. Are you seeking God on that level? Number two, we see in verse five, he talks about praising God joyfully. So um, it will be on the screen, but I want to go to Habakkuk 3 since we brought him up earlier. He has a great passage about this. So Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now, the reason why I find this text overwhelming and unbelievable is because what he is saying is, is I don't care what life throws at me. God be praised. So if I have tons of food or if I have no food at all, praise Jesus. If I have tons of money in the bank or I'm homeless, praise Jesus. If everything's working for me, I got lots of friends, everything's good, or nothing's working, I have no friends, praise Jesus. What it seems like to me here is that there's no conditions on Habakkuk's love for the Lord. And, and I don't know how in the world these prosperity guys deal with this text. Prosperity gospel is this false gospel of believing if you do good for God, he blesses you with health and wealth. I don't know how you handle this text, or well, all of the Bible really, but I don't know how you look at this text, and then you preach that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. It's all going to go well. Because in the end, Habakkuk is literally saying, he's like, who cares with what happens with everything else and how it all goes if you get God? So whether I, I've got cancer and I die at 35 or I live to be 104, praise Christ. And whether everything in my marriage is just movie-esque, we just like flutter around in like romantic harmony, or... Every day is a battle to just be faithful to each other and to, and to remain faithful to Jesus. Praise God. To me, I look at that and I go, this is a different kind of Christianity. This is, this is one where there's no conditions. And I think a lot of times our faith, we do put conditions on it. But not Habakkuk. He praises God joyfully even when in the desert. Number three is prayerfully persevere. So here's the kind of thinking that has helped me with living in the desert. Before me and my wife moved here, we went through easily uh, the worst span of time in our life. And we were in a spiritual desert for a couple of years. And I think this type of thinking is what helped us 
uh, survive that desert. And I think every parent or guardian of any kind can relate to this. So um, I come from a long line of good dads, which is one of the rarest things you can come from. However, uh, they're not perfect. And um, we all come from a long bloodline of sinners. There's no way around it. And because of that, I personally have issues that I have to constantly submit to the Lord in and to submit to the Spirit in and ask for the Spirit uh, for continued healing and continued work in my life. And my thought is, is that if I'm willing and I'm able to wrestle uh, with these things, with, uh, with the things that I have, have to deal with for my whole life and that I'm probably going to have to deal with until I get to heaven, I'm hoping that God will, will bless my family with that. And if I'm willing to, to fight these things, then maybe my two daughters won't have to. So I'm all right with my time in the desert battling these things if it means my girls then receive the land of milk and honey instead. Number four, remember him constantly. Are you constantly remembering what God has done? what he has done for you, specifically what he has done for you through Jesus Christ. Nothing can help us get the actual context and reality of any situation we're in more than remembering who God is and what he has already done. Number five, meditate on his word. So if you truly desire God as much as a dying deer in the desert desires water, then you have to be in the Bible every day. So in our youth group, we have something we call the Daily Ten. It's a little bookmark we give out every two months. Um, and on one side is a schedule for two months of every day, a Bible passage that we're all going to be reading. We talk about it in small groups every week, what we've been reading, what God's been saying to us. On the other side are some questions to help you analyze what you're reading. Mainly the questions are about um, what does this passage say about God? What does this passage say about you? And how do you believe, after reading this, God is aspiring you to act on what you just read? So um, we call it the Daily Ten because we want to encourage our students to spend at least ten minutes a day in Bible reading and prayer. And we do this because we know it's absolutely vital to be reading the Word of God so we can know Him more. And if you want answers on how to survive a spiritual desert, there's no other place you can go to. There's no other place you're going to find more clear answers than in the Bible. And lastly, six, cling to God. Now, this sounds kind of simple, but again, think about it. He's saying cling to God and imagine what King David is saying here. He, at this moment, believes he's going to die, and he's thinking my own son is going to be the one that thrusts the sword through my body. I'm going to be murdered by my son, who he loves dearly. And he's saying the only thing that upholds him, the only thing that keeps him going, that keeps him from losing his mind and totally giving up is the fact that he's clinging to God. He's grasping on to God because he knows that God is the only person, the only thing in this universe capable of getting him to overcome this season in the spiritual desert. And that brings us back to page 519 in your Bibles, Psalm 42. I want to read uh, verses 5 and 6. So Psalm 42, 5 and 6, page 519, if you have the Bibles underneath your seats. So the sons of Korah here, um, with more of their lyrics, I believe, give us a good capstone to this. So it's kind of like this 
we see this inner turmoil and struggle going on. He goes, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So why is your soul so down when you're in that spiritual desert? Why do you feel this way? And what's the answer to surviving the desert? It's hope in God. And to praise him joyfully and, and to desire him more than life despite circumstances. For he alone is our God and he alone is our salvation when we are in the spiritual desert. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for being a God who loves us uh, beyond our comprehension. Because um, God, we oftentimes find ourselves in that spiritual desert, and we have to know that it's uh, not by accident. Sometimes you allow it to happen, sometimes you place us there. But it's never on accident. We thank you for always using that to grow us, and uh, it's not just a worthless time that means nothing but that uh, you do grow us during that time. God, I, I pray that we learn from uh, King David, who spent many seasons of his life in dark, dark, dark seasons in that spiritual desert, that if we cling to you, Lord, if we put our hope in you and understand you are our only salvation, you are the only answer, that we will escape, we will survive that desert and gain all the things we needed to gain, on our way out. We grew in the ways you wanted to grow us. We thank you for being a God who loves us and, and takes care of us and sees the bigger picture. God, I pray that you help all of us when we can't see that bigger picture and we're just like, why in the world are you letting this happen? I pray that we lean on each other and I pray that we don't run away from you, but we walk closer to you, Lord. Help us to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. So at uh, this point, we're going to be going into a time of baptism. Um, and uh, I wanted to say that I will be uh, standing in the back corner. If you feel uh, that God has led you to a point where you also uh, want to give your life to him, or maybe you already have and you want to be baptized, come see me uh, quickly. And uh, we will be able to get you in. We do have dry clothes um, for you, so don't worry about that. They'll be taken care of. Um, but yeah, I will be uh, standing in the back and uh, you can come talk to me.